0: Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the summit. And so let me just give you a kind of a, a, an overview of what's happening right now, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of jump into it. So um, like Andy said, tonight's going to be a little bit different. Typically, what you get from me is um, 30 to 40 minutes of me teaching through a section of the scriptures. We won't be doing that uh, tonight. And um, the reason we're, we're not going to be doing that is because what we brought to you uh, last uh, Sunday was that we found out... Um, that we needed to find $150,000 in 10 days. Now, let me just, before those of you who are new um, are like, this was not the week I wanted to come, let me, let me, let me just speak to you here for a second. Here, here's kind of what happened. So if you're new, let me update you on what happened. We've been trying to buy this building, and a few weeks ago we uh, went under contract to purchase this building, the building that you're sitting in right now, as well as the brick building that's in front that you walked by as you came in through the front doors. And long story short, we found out last Saturday night as I was trying to fall asleep and consequently didn't sleep at all, that we needed to bring $150,000 more to closing than we anticipated. And so tonight is kind of all about that. Now, for those of you who are new, maybe this is your first time, maybe this is your second time, your third time, you don't yet call the summit home. Um, As I was thinking about you today getting ready, um, I think it's probably easy for you to feel like um, you almost awkwardly stumbled into a family conversation you didn't really want to be a part of. I don't know if you ever did that growing up, or like your parents were talking to one another about something uber serious, and then you just tried to back out of the room uh, very quietly so they wouldn't realize that you were in there. And um, that's, that's not tonight, okay? Tonight is actually, if this is your first time. I think tonight is maybe the best night all year for you to be here, because here's the deal. You are going to get a glimpse uh, into who we are as a church. You are going to see where we've been, where we're going, our heart uh, as a church. But here's what I think is, is most important: is that I think what you're going to get tonight is an answer to a very important question that you need to be asking yourself. And you may not even realize you should be asking yourself this, but here, here it is. Uh, I think what you're going to get is the answer to the question as to whether or not God is moving in the life of this church. Now, hopefully, um, if you're here, you're at least asking the question if you should be part of this church. Now maybe, you know, you saw that we were going to be showing the Broncos game, and there was free pizza, and that's the only reason you're here. And if that's you, we're glad you're here, and we're glad you'll eat the free pizza. We we really are, as long as you're not rooting for the Chiefs. If that's the case, get out right now. Get out. Um, But for everybody else, I mean, if you're here, I'm assuming that there's some interest of you being part of this church. And, and the most important question I think you can ask yourself as you're thinking about whether or not you should call this church home is not so much, do you think I'm a compelling speaker? Not so much, do you like the style of music? I mean, I think those are important questions to ask. But I think more importantly, you need to ask yourself, is this a place where God is present? Is this the type of place that you can meet and know God? And I think, you know, some churches that That's just not the case. It's not that way in other churches. There are, and and you need to be asking yourself as you're trying to figure out, as you're trying to make sense of this church, is this that kind of place or not? And I think um, I, I really can say with the utmost integrity that you will get the answer in the affirmative tonight. You will see this is a place where God is stepping in and moving. And so I hope you see that tonight. What I hope you see is not so much that this is a pitch for money as much as it is a proclamation of the gospel and the goodness of God towards his people and us as the Summit community. Now, before we jump into this whole building thing, um, here's what I think is is probably most important for me to do. I want to kind of take a step back, and for us, kind of lay the the groundwork to kind of help you make sense of this in in a proper light. And um, the the story that was running through my head this week is, um, a lot of you don't know this about me, but Um, When I first started college, I graduated from the University of South Carolina, but I didn't start there. I actually started at the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, I didn't get in there because of my grades whatsoever. I got in there because I was good enough to play baseball to get in. And um, one of the things that happens when you go to the U.S. Naval Academy is your first week is not typical, like the typical first week of college, where you're just like, you know, going crazy, and there's no rules or limits. There's more rules and limits than you've ever experienced in your entire life. You go through this thing called boot camp, and it is terrible. Now, I've tried to forget almost everything from that experience um, as possible, but there was this one moment um, that that came to me this week. Um, where instead of, you know, our drill sergeant yelling at us to do more push-ups or to tell us, you know, where we screwed up and could have done better, he actually called us into the school's gymnasium. And we go into the gymnasium, and we walk in there, and there's a bunch of chairs set up kind of just like this. we're like, oh, my gosh, what sort of, like, cruel uh, game are you about to play with us? he's like, nothing, nothing, just sit down. So we sit down. It was one of the first times I'd sat down, I feel like, in weeks. And um, this old man walks out... Uh, behind a podium. And so, um, I mean, this guy is just moving like so slow. I mean, he is just puttering along, which was totally fine. I mean, it's not like I could do anything else. It's in boot camp, right? So you're just sitting there waiting for him to get out there. He finally gets out there and he starts talking. And uh, what was interesting was this guy had actually stormed the beaches of Normandy on d day it was incredible. So this guy, um, you know, if you've seen Saving Private Ryan, you have a glimpse of, you know, of what this may have looked like. Where, you know, on D-Day, the Allied forces are trying to take the beaches of Normandy to establish a bulkhead. Um, you know, in Saving Private Ryan, the soldiers are packed into those uh, boats that are bulletproof. They have those like bulletproof walls. That you hit the beach, the wall goes down, and all of a sudden the bullets are flying. And a lot of times, soldiers would get killed even before they would get off the boat. Well, here's the deal. This guy not only was was there, he drove the boat so not only like not only was he there he didn't get a gun okay so he drives the boat and not only that but he has to take, make multiple trips so he drives lets people out you would think like that's enough i haven't died yet but yes no get more people come back get more people come back and by the grace of god he survived And so he tells the story it's unbelievably compelling i mean this is the greatest military operation in all of american history maybe world history and uh it was astounding and what I remember from that moment is that we had a Q&A afterwards and people were asking questions and um, the one question I remember somebody asking was, um, they asked him, did you know the day before that you were about to take place in maybe like the greatest historical events in all of American history? Like, Did you have any idea that what you were about to take part of in the next day was going to go down as legend for the rest of your life? And he thought about it for a second. And he was like, no, like the day before felt like any other day. The training exercise felt like any other training exercise. And then he said something that is the point of all of this. He said, I guess even when you're in the middle of something so significant, it's hard to recognize that you're part of something really great. When you're stuck kind of in the grind of something so, it's, it's hard to step back And have a realization that you're part of something epic, and that makes sense, right? I mean, it makes sense that, I mean, a training exercise before D-Day feels like any other training exercise, or you know, a lot of you haven't been in the military, so maybe think about sports. Like, you know, if you were part of an NBA team that won the national champion or the uh, NBA championship, probably a practice during that season would feel like any other practice. I mean, that's—it's hard to recognize that you're part of something epic. It's hard for you to recognize you're part of something substantial when you're stuck in the midst of the everyday grind. It's often not until you're years removed from it that you can look back and say, wow, I really was part of something significant. And I think it's the same way in the church. I think it's very easy for many of you, you know, many of you have been here from the beginning, and I think it's easy for you to show up on Sundays to worship, to serve, to teach our kids, to do first impressions, to make sure the chairs are lined up, to go to a city group, to give faithfully and consistently and regularly, to love the church, to reach out to your friends and neighbors and coworkers, to do all of those things and have no awareness that you're part of something substantial, that you're part of something epic, that you're part of something that will outlive yourself. And so few people in the city are part of something like that. And so I think it's important before we even kind of go into numbers and what do you need to give and what has been given, I I think you need to take a step back. And for you who call the summit home to recognize you are part of something far more substantial than yourself. And it's hard to see that. It's hard to see that when you're in the midst of the grind. And it feels unbelievably unspectacular, doesn't it? But you have to understand this. You are part of something epic fact, I just wanted to help you see this. And I feel like maybe the best way for me to help you see this is even just to walk you through our story. This is the reason we have this dining room table right here is because this is where the Summit Church started. Um, Andy, is this, where is Andy? Is Andy in here? Is this your table? Is this your old table? So the the church literally started at this table. I just asked for a dining room table, and it was literally the same table that um, we started at. So this ch- this table was in North Carolina, and uh, Andy, my wife Megan, and, Andy, and I, or Andy, my wife Megan, and I, there's only three of us, uh, Andy wasn't married yet at the time, and um, we basically sat at this table. My wife always cooked. Um, she would always be the one to cook because you didn't want Andy or I to cook, um, and... You know, we over lasagna, over chicken pot pie, over whatever it is that my wife would make. It was delicious. We would dream about what would it look like for us to move to the city of Denver and start a new church. Literally, these three chairs were filled, and there was nobody else. And uh, we, we joined part of a church called The Summit in North Carolina that loved us and trained us and equipped us and sent us out. And in January of 2011, actually January 5th, I remember because it was my birthday, um, coming up again in case you're wondering, January 5th, 2011, uh, we drive across the country in this rickety old Volvo, my wife, me, our 100-pound chocolate lab penny in the back. We make the drive across the country, and we arrive to our home in this neighborhood with the dream of starting a church. Two weeks later, we start the church in my living room. We have a picture of it right here. That 's actually the first gathering of the summit church, um, so that was i think january uh, january sixteenth seventeenth of two thousand and eleven you see there's a dozen people in that picture. many of you were there and are in this picture right now um, you know Many of you have seen this picture. We try to show it often. But, you know, there's me sketchily standing off to the right there. And people are always like, what are you doing? Like, would nobody talk to you? Were you just awkwardly staring at everybody? And, I mean, for me, really, like, it had already been two years of praying and dreaming to the point that it was like, I can't believe God has done this. It was incomprehensible to me that 12 people were getting together to talk about Jesus in my living room. I could not even begin to fathom that, but um, God had bigger dreams than just the 12 people in my living room, and so we moved from there to uh, Coffee at the Point, a coffee shop that's right across uh, the street, so that's where we meet. Some uh, uh, art from a local elementary school is right behind me, and there was maybe 20 people in there, and I would sit on a stool, and we would talk about the Bible. God grew us again. We moved to the block building, Um, This is just a few blocks this way. I think it's actually one of the coolest buildings in the entire city. That angle makes it seem even like way bigger than it really is. I think the entire building was about the size of the stage here. It was a really small room. We maybe got 30 or 40 people in there. I think at at the point that we were bringing in 50 or so, we had to have people bring their own chairs, and we were having people stand up. Um, And then we looked for new space. and, um, And so we looked for new space. We knew we had to get out. And um, hold off on the next picture. Don't show this one yet. Um, Because I just want to tell you how we found this space. We found this space. We felt tremendously committed to, to staying in this zip code. We found this space by mostly Andy and sometimes Andy and I literally driving every single block of this zip code looking for any potential building. I mean, that's how hard it was to find space. And so um, a lot of times what would happen is we would just find a building that looked like this one or all the other buildings that are around this neighborhood in this area. And if the door was unlocked, we would go into it. If a window was open, we would jump through it. If somebody was working there, we would ask them to let us in. I mean, it was literally, I mean, I felt like we were definitely going to get arrested. It didn't happen by the grace of God. But we trespassed close to 1,500 times in about a a one-month ratio. And so we found uh, this beauty of a space. Can we show the next one? This was it. Beautiful... this nasty warehouse that was being used—I'm not even sure uh, what, what it was being used for. I, you know, I have no idea what that equipment was, um, but it was nasty, oily, but it was available and it was cheap. Which, if you're kind of in my line of work, those two things tend to seal the deal. And so uh, we said, "We'll take it," and uh, we tried to clean it up. Many of you were part of that. Many of you. Um, you know, you painted the walls so that the gang graffiti was no longer present in the midst of us worshiping and things like this, and, and it looked like this afterwards. Can we go to the next one? Yeah, so that was us when we were on the other side. That's actually a picture from the very first time we gathered, which you can notice there was a whole lot of empty chairs leading me to a semi-panic attack, wondering if we made the wrong decision to come here and would we ever be able to fill it up. But God is faithful even when I am faithless. He filled up that side of the room at the beginning of this year. We dreamed of what would it look like to take over this whole thing. There was an insulation company where you are sitting right now. Their lease ran out. The owner asked us, do you want it? And we said, yes. And we took it over, we renovated it, and here we are. Now, here's why I tell that entire story. Is that what we've been asking God for is that for him to do a work in the life of the Summit Church that's so substantial that the only explanation is that God stepped in and moved. And here's the deal. When I think about how God took us from this to this, in less than three years, I think the only only explanation is that he has moved. And I think if you're asking yourself the question as to whether or not God is moving and active and real and blessing our church, I mean, I think the only logical explanation, even if, even if you're not even sure what you believe about Jesus yet, is something extraordinary, something miraculous has happened in the life of the Summit Church. And many of you in this room have been a part of it. Now, here's, here's what you need to know from that. The first is this, is that's not normal. Okay. Like, that is not normal. And I think it's hard for many of you to see this. I mean, many of you, you became Christians here, many of you were baptized here. I mean, way more than of you who were baptized could not you know, you could not sit at this table with us. And so for many of you, this is the first church you've ever meaningfully been a part of your entire life. And so you just kind of assume this is the way it is. That's not the way it is. That's not the normal way it is, especially in a city like Denver. I heard somewhere over 90% of new churches like ours close their doors within three years of them opening them for the first time. And here we are. God has blessed us to the point where, I mean, we're on the brink of being able to buy the very room that we sit in as well as the brick building in front. So you just need to understand, I mean, this is miraculous. It's hard to see that, but it is. The second is this, is as we look to the future, here's what we believe. We said it in this video. We believe that God's past grace is his promise of his future blessing. We believe his past grace is his promise of his future blessing. And maybe I'm just preaching to myself here, but it's been easy to feel like, man, we got a little bit lucky and we're kind of a flash in the pan and the magic is going to run out and the other shoe is going to drop and no, that's, that's not what we believe. We believe that God's past grace, what he has done in the past of the Summit Church is his promise of what he will continue to do in the future. And so as we have a vision for the future, we look at all that he's done. We look at this story. We look at the inexplicable work that he has accomplished in the life of this church. And we ask him for more. And we expect more and we believe more and we work for more fully anticipating and believing he will give it. That's brought us up to where we are now. We're trying to buy this building. We're trying to buy this building and the building in front of it. And um, before we kind of dive into the why behind this, let me just say this before we even go any further. It's really important for you to understand that this building is not necessary for the Summit Church to accomplish its mission. Okay, so do you understand this? Like our hopes and dreams, our existence is not built on whether or not we own this building because we are not in a business building. We are in a people building. We're not in a building business. We are in a people business. We are in the business of connecting men and women to Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. If tomorrow morning the federal government passed a law saying no church in the United States could own its own building, the mission would continue. I would continue to pastor, the Summit Church would continue, and men and women would come to know Jesus and grow up in Jesus and make much of Jesus in the ebb and flow of their everyday lives. So you need to understand this. It's, it's not a necessity, which isn't a great pitch if you're trying to raise money, but it's the truth. It's biblical. And even people have asked me this week, have you lost sleep over the building? I've lost a little sleep over the building. You and I lose a lot of sleep over is people. People. I care about you way more than I care about a building. And so sleepless nights for me are over you dating somebody you shouldn't date, you making decisions that I know are not going to go well for you, you on the cusp of making a major decision. It's not just bad stuff. I, I stay awake at night over good stuff, too. Like you've told me you're going to get baptized. I stay awake at night excited about that for you because we as a church, we care about you as people before we care about a building. And you need to understand that. That's not our hope and dream. But here's what is important. It's important to understand that while a building isn't necessary, it is a fantastic resource, a fantastic tool to accomplish the mission. And that's true for a lot of different reasons. Economically, it makes a whole lot of sense to own as opposed to rent, especially in a neighborhood like ne- this, that we are going to be priced out of in a few years. It's just the reality of where the city is heading. It makes a sense for a stability standpoint. Just saying, like, okay, this is where we're going to be. No more crazy renovations. This, this is it. For us, we are going to be here long-term. I think it, it helps from a presence standpoint. I mean, um, all of our pastors own homes really within walking distance or at furthest biking distance of here. And to be able to, for you who even live in this neighborhood or live around here or drove here tonight to know, like, if you join this church, for as long as you live, this is where you'll drive. I mean, it's, it's fantastic to ha- have that kind of presence in the neighborhood. But let me, let me tell you what really makes my heart come alive for this building. And, um, you know, I guess it happened this week. I was just thinking about how much this neighborhood has changed. I mean, it's weird. Denver's so transient. You can live here for three years, and people almost consider you an old-timer. Um, which was really bizarre to me. But people kind of come and go so much. You know, I, I can talk about the good old days when there wasn't an urban winery on the block here and there wasn't a vegan restaurant. I mean, it's like, that's the way it was a year and a half ago. It just always changes like crazy. And in fact, even this week, I, I spent some time, I went to the, the Denver Public Library's website. And I looked at pictures of what Larimer Street, that's the street right here that runs right in front of our building, what Larimer Street even looks like 50 years ago. And it's crazy, like you wouldn't even begin to recognize it. You wouldn't even be able to begin to recognize what this neighborhood looked like 50 years ago. And people tell us who lived here that long that all the time. And you know what made my heart come alive? It's the thought of how this neighborhood has changed so substantially over the last 50 years. I mean, even two blocks this way is what would used to be an abandoned horse barn, and now it's the leading nonprofit center to fight global poverty in the entire city. Like, that happened six months ago. I think about how over the last 50 years, this neighborhood has changed immensely. And I think about, you know what, that's just going to continue to happen. Over the next 50 years, this neighborhood is going to continue to change immensely. It's hard for me to even begin to wrap my mind around what this neighborhood is going to look like 50 years from now. But you know what makes my heart come alive? That at 33rd and Larimer, on this block, in this building, 50 years from now, there will still be men and women who worship Jesus Christ as Lord. And there will still be a building with a neon sign on the outside of it that says Summit Church that will burn bright deep into Denver nights. And when that picture is painted in my head and it sees with my heart, what strikes me is that when we go to closing on Thursday is we have a chance to do something epic this week. A story that is very rarely written and maybe never has been written in this city. And that men and women will continue to call the Summit Church home long after I am gone and long after you are gone as well. So what do we have to do to make this happen? Well, we brought it to you last week, right? We we came to you and we said, um, "Here's the deal: we need one hundred fifty thousand dollars in ten days—the worst giving campaign in the history of churches." <laughs> Which is really funny because I'm like super Type A, and um, I mean, I could tell you what the uh, I can tell you what the sermons are for the next six months already. I can tell you what we're preaching like next February, um, and I've written the sermon. I've written what I'm saying right now. I think this is my fourth time. Um, It's just because the week has been so, the last week has been so crazy. But we brought it to you, and what we challenge you to do is we challenge you to be generous. And not just generous, but sacrificial. Do you understand there's a difference between that? You should live a lifestyle of generosity, but there's moments in all of our lives where God calls us to sacrifice. And I think, and I think. That's, as I'm trying to make sense of even why has this been so chaotic, I think that's been the greatest gift that God has given us. I think it would have been bad for us as a church just to be given a building and for us not to have to bleed for it, for us not to have to put flesh in the game. And let me tell you something. I mean, the response over the last few days has been mind-blowing. It has been absolutely mind-blowing. We called you to sacrifice, and you have. Let, let Let me just let me just kind of give you um, a couple examples of this. One, you need to understand, I would never call you to do something that I myself am not ready to do. And so um, I don't share this to boast or for you to be impressed by me, just to know that we're all in this together. So my wife and I, we talked about this on uh, Sunday night and on Monday, we wrote a check for this for $5,000. Maybe that seems like a lot of money. Maybe it seems like not a lot of money. I'm not sure what your income level is. But for us, That is a sacrificial amount of money. My wife works for different public schools. I work for a church. We're in the process of doing an international adoption. We took $5,000 out of our savings for that, and we put it towards this building because we believe God will provide for both. We believe his heart is for orphans. We believe his heart is for the church. And so if we're going to go all in for something, we're going all in for those two things, even if it scares us to death to write that check. I heard crazy stories of sacrifice. In fact, uh, many of you know Drew Witt, He's one of our city group leaders. And um, he was telling me that his brother, I guess his brother who's 17 years old, caught word of this, and he gets this text from his brother. 17 years old. I want you as I'm reading this to think about what you were doing when you were 17 years old, okay? Here's what he says. God has big plans for you guys. You will receive a $90 donation from me by check, by mail. It's not much, but it's all I have to give. God will provide though. I'm really happy God is moving in the summit and I'm glad to support it. If that's not enough, he then, three days later, I guess is convicted that he can give more, and he sends Drew this text. I gave you $475 because I really wanted to help out with the church's situation in Denver. Don't worry about me. I will get my savings back. You know, he, He sent that text on Friday. You know what the men of America were doing on Friday? They were lining up to buy the PlayStation 4 that came out that morning that cost $400. That's what the men of America were doing. And this 17-year-old kid is giving everything away to something that will not benefit him directly whatsoever. I could tell endless stories like this where your family has bled, you have bled, we have bled, people you don't even know who love you and care about you and you'll never meet if bled for you. Here's the result. You ready for this? We did it. We did it. Yes. This is is why I had to rewrite this, because I was planning to give the, oh my gosh, if you don't give X amount of dollars, this is not going to happen talk. And I had to rewrite it to give the, God gave us abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine in a shorter period of time talk. Talk what's the explanation for that? God stepped in and moved. He stepped in and moved. Like that's the only explanation for, I mean, how is the worst giving campaign in the history of giving campaigns lead to over $150,000 being raised in under 10 days? How does that happen? God just says, I love my church in spite of its issues, and in spite of its miscommunication, and in spite of its, like, not understanding exactly how much it needs to bring to closing, and all of the resources of the world are mine, and I will pour them out so that my mission advances not just as a city, but to the ends of the earth. Like, I I was so kind of uh, overwhelmed by this, I didn't really, I don't know, I originally had a really good way to close this, um, but then we would met our goal, so I didn't really know what to say, and so um, I called a guy who's been a mentor to me back at uh, back in North Carolina, and I was like, "I've never really had this problem before, so could you kind of help me make sense of this?" And so I'm just going to give you what he said because I think it was kind of, uh, I think it was, I think it was very prophetic for us as a church. He said this. He says, "As I think about how God has given you more than you could ask for in a shorter period of time, he says this. He said, I." I think three things for you guys. He said, one, he says, I think God has given you more to show off his power. God has just revealed that I can do abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. I mean, that is a rallying cry for us as a church. We exist because of that as a church. And he's shown that he can do that. And so I just even want to challenge you with that. For those of you who are wondering, is God real? For those of you who are wondering, should I give my life to this? For those of you who have been Christians for 30 years, and you, like me, struggle with the daily fear of whether or not my life is going to crumble, struggle with the fear of wondering if there's going to be enough money to survive, he loves you, and he is more powerful than you could ever begin to comprehend. And he has shown off his power. The second thing he said to me, he says, I think God has given you more because he wants to do more through you. And that was really challenging, because I feel like for us as a church, we have this really big vision, and we've really expected big things, and we've kind of done all sorts of crazy things, and I, I don't know if there's ever been a church in the city who's owned its own building within three years, so I'm not really sure. Um, let me, Jim, has that happened before? You've been here. Never. Never, okay. So Jim is our Denver authority. So like, I mean... <laughs> That's literally never happened. So I'm trying to think to myself, I'm not sure what else we can expect or anticipate, but he's going to do more. And I don't even, I don't really even have action steps or suggestions or anything. I'm just ready for it. And I want you to be ready for it as well. Like God always blesses for you to be a blessing. He always blesses for you to be a blessing. And he's blessed us for us to be a blessing as well. And we have to understand that. We, we have not been blessed and experienced this miracle for us to hoard it for ourselves, but for us to continue to expand our vision for what God can do in and through us, the city and to the ends of the earth. The third, he said, he said, um, he said, I think God has given you more to expand you and your people's faith to give more. And I think that's been hard. I mean, many of you, I assume i mean i 'm not the person who's looking at the giving, so i 'm just kind of hearing this second hand but I mean for us to raise what we raise over the period of time, many of you were unbelievably sacrificial i 'm talking about uncomfortably sacrificial, but from the conversations i 've had with some of you this you 've been given something as well you 've been given the assurance that God does love you and cares for you and provides for you even even when it 's uncomfortable for you to be sacrificial and, and it's been unbelievable even to hear the stories of how some of you stretched yourselves. You, you literally went home, looked at budgets, gave more, didn't sure, weren't sure how ends were going to meet. And God, even in this one-week time span, has shown his provision in your life. And I think he's given you a gift. He's given you the gift for you to be able to give more of your stuff and your life away. And it's a joy for me to call you to that because I think you're the one who's really blessed that. Because for many of you this week that I've talked to, you've been put in the place for the very first time in your life. You've learned what it's like to really trust for God to provide. How much is that lesson worth? It's priceless. It's priceless. And so he has done this to make us a generous people in the future as well. And so, um, to kind of sum it up. Uh, By the grace of God, this Thursday, if nothing else crazy has to take place and I don't have to come and do another one of these talks, which if I do, it's just, I'm not sure if I've got that in me emotionally. um, This Thursday we'll close and this building and the brick building in front will be the property of the Summit Church. And so what do we do in response to that? Well, I think we do three things. Um, one, I think we just—I think we worship and we give thanks. We really worship and we just give thanks. And I mean, even we're just going to give you an opportunity to do this. We're about to take communion. We're going to sing, and I want to just challenge you to worship, to give God the glory He deserves for doing something so amazing over the last seven days. We want to give thanks to Him. I, want, I mean, I want to give thanks for Him to Him. I want to give thanks to you, too. I mean, it's been amazing, the sacrifice that you've shown. It has blown me away. And so I am so thankful. For those of you who were generous, I I just want to say I'm so thankful for you doing this. So that's one. We want to give thanks. The second thing I want to do is I want to challenge those of you who were planning to give to this to still give. Or even those of you who haven't given to this, I want to challenge you to still give. Now, let me talk about this from a... Um, practical manner and then from a spiritual manner, okay? So practically, you understand the church still needs money, right? You you understand, like, this isn't it for the rest of our existence, and I mean, this is a down payment for us to take on a million-dollar-plus loan. So, I mean, in some ways, I'm very excited. In some ways, it's like, well, all right, things just escalated quickly, and uh, (laughs) and we're gonna gonna keep going. So um, if you give to this, it's going to be used really, really well. And that's just more money we can put towards us as a church, paying off, um, paying off a loan that um, is, is very substantial. So, so know that. If you were going to give or if, you, if you're still thinking about giving, I, I really would challenge you to do that. But let me, let me just even um, talk about this from the aspect I really love. Um, I, don't want to rub you, I don't want to rob you from the joy of investing in God's mission. I think the vast majority of us as Americans, if we're just honest, have more money than we really know what to do with. I'm not saying that's all of you. Some of you in this room, you survive month to month, and we are not belittling you. We are not making much of you. And statistically speaking, you tend to be the most generous people. That's the crazy thing. But for the, the vast majority of us, we have more money than we know what to do with. And every single dollar that comes out of your wallet or every single swipe of the debit card or the credit card is an investment in something. Do you understand that? You're always investing. Sometimes it's in appearance. Sometimes it's in experiences. Sometimes it's in security. And sometimes it's in the mission of God advancing. And I do not want to rob you of the joy of investing in that. It's incredible. The the guy I was talking to in North Carolina who was kind of coaching me through this, he asked me, he's like, do you want any of your $5,000 back? I was like, no. I don't want it back. I don't want it back just because we can survive without it now. I'm so glad I gave that money away. You never miss money you give away. And that's why I challenge you to that as well. Third and finally, I just want to challenge some of you to really give your life to this. There's a wide spectrum of people in this room. Some of you are looking for a church and you've been a Christian for some time. And I want to challenge you. I mean, I just want to challenge you to say, maybe it's time for you to join this church. I really think God is here. I think he's moving. I think that's the only explanation. And I understand there's all sorts of kind of little things that may keep you from going all in here. The, let me tell you the most important thing. God is present. Lay it down. I don't even know what it is. But what begins to compare to that and being a part of a community like that and experiencing the joy of what we are experiencing here. Some of you, you just, maybe you're not looking for a church, but you're, I mean, you're just trying to figure out the spirituality thing. And I just want to challenge you to give your life to Jesus. Even before you come to the church, even when you think about baptism, to just follow him. And what I'm hoping that you see is that this is far more substantial than a story about us getting a bunch of money. There's something much better The gospel proclaims that there is a God who is real and is spoken, is involved in the affairs of our daily lives, and he gets involved in your life, and he gets involved in your life in a far more meaningful way than him taking care of your material needs, even though I think he'll do that. He has redeemed you back to himself through the death of his son. And in the moment that we question his provision, in the moment that we wonder if he's good, in the moment where we wonder should we give our lives fully and recklessly and foolishly to him, we look to the cross of Christ and we say yes, unwaveringly yes. Because where else shall we go? Who else is worth it? What, what cause compares? Nobody, no one, nothing else. As much as the city has to offer, it's an incredible city. I love this city. Nothing else compares. And so we want to respond. Here's how we're going to give you the chance to respond. We're going to give you the chance to respond through the partaking of communion. You know, we said earlier that God's past grace is his promise of future blessing. And I think communion is one of the best ways to celebrate that. What communion is, it kind of has this past and future dimension to it. And in some ways, you remember The past. You remember that 2,000 years ago, before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his closest followers together, and he broke bread, and he poured wine, and he said, this is my body and blood that have been broken and spilt for you so that you might be redeemed back to God. Jesus Christ died in your place so that you could be forgiven of your sin. And through his life, you were declared righteous. Through his death, you were declared forgiven. Through his resurrection, you were declared victorious. And we remember that 2,000 years ago. That's the reason we gather in this room. That's the reason we want a building. Not because of a building, but because of the one that the building proclaims or the people who fill the building proclaims. Jesus Christ. There's also this future promise with communion where we are looking to what God has promised to secure at the end of the time where those who are his will gather for a great feast. The Bible describes it almost like a wedding party that is greater than you could ever imagine, where we will break bread and we will drink wine and we will celebrate that God has finished what he started. And so we respond by taking communion. His past grace is his promise of future blessing. And so um, why don't, for those of you who are going to be serving communion, you guys go ahead and come up. Are they not ready yet? All right, well, I'm going to (laughs) pray. And then I'll explain the details of how you can potentially respond. God, we thank you so much for your provision. Not just your provision of money, but your provision of your son, Jesus Christ. God, he is the ultimate gift. And you can take away this building from us, and you can take away all our money, and you can take away all our success. And you can take away all the stories, and because we have him, we still have everything. And God, it's our heart for him and for this city that we thank you, that you have provided abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So God, let us worship you as you deserve to be worshiped. As we move forward with this being the permanent home of the Summit Church, let us understand we have been blessed to be a blessing and give ourselves away. And We love you. We just ask all these things in your name. Amen.